So today I got to talk with Ian Himeno. He's a house hacking expert and a realtor himself. He's part of the Phi team based out of Denver, Colorado, but he actually travels the country with his wife and dog in a fully custom Ram Pro Master van. Um, it's super sick. You got to go check him out on his Instagram. The van looks awesome. Uh, but aside from that, him and I talk a lot about financial literacy and why house hacking makes sense for many first-time home buyers. Uh, a little insight to the Phi team they look at house hacking slightly different from how we all see it, like the traditional version of it. The way that they go about it isn't necessarily your your duplexes or triplexes or fourplexes. They make house hacking very creative, and we have these deals over in the Northeast as well, but I don't think it's often talked about enough how many house hacking deals are actually out there. So we talk a little bit about how him and the Phi team look at house hacking differently than the traditional version of it, and then a little bit about how he balances his work life with his van life. Uh, again, traveling around the country in a van while being a realtor seems like it's an impossible task, but he's got a pretty cool system in place and his clients seem to take well to it. Uh, so he's testing the waters now and he'll let us all know how it goes. But nonetheless, I thought our conversation was extremely beneficial and not only for the entrepreneur, but I think anyone who's looking to set themselves up in a positive financial position early in life and intends on doing so through the power of real estate, I think this is the target audience, at least for our conversation. Any realtor and any entrepreneur can take something from this, absolutely. And I think that any realtor who specializes with first-time home buyers could benefit from using some of Ian's skills as a tool in their toolkit. So without further ado, here's Ian. What what it was that got you started, not necessarily in real estate specifically, um, but just everybody has some sort of a story for a background, so to speak, as to why they decided that... Um, the employee life's not for me. And it's always interesting to hear from yeah. one person to the next. So I want to hear a little bit about where that started for you. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned all of that stuff um, with starting out in the W-2 world because not that many people that are currently real estate investors um, started out in real estate. Usually they accidentally get there or they uh, find their way and mosey on, mosey on in with um, the knowledge that financial independence can be achieved through real estate. So uh, for me myself, I uh, prior to becoming a realtor, as soon as I graduated college, I became a geologist. I was in the earth sciences degree and, uh, you know, in Santa Cruz, they you have pretty much two paths and it's like environmental consulting and oil and gas. And I was not one to go in the oil and gas route. Um, I decided to do the environmental consulting route, which at the time I was like, I don't even know if there's jobs. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't even know what this means as a major, <laughs> right? right? Um, but actually that sparked the tread or the, the journey down to the real estate investing pathway, surprisingly. Okay. So going from geology through that, I have geology to thank for that. <laughs> and yeah, so I assume you said you went to college for that specifically? That's correct. And it wasn't actually a major that I actively chose. I was like, I think it was seven years in community college because oh, wow. I just kept going back and forth on like, what major I wanted to do. I wanted to become a nurse at one time. And eventually I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to apply to all these universities and Uni university of Santa Cruz, California or university of California, Santa Cruz. They were like, Hey, you want to come on board and, uh, you know, 
be a student here. I was like, sure, great. What kind of major can I apply for? It's like, well, you can't do biology, which is my initial um, major that I wanted to do, but you could do geology because you haven't done Calc 2. It's like, great, I'll do geology, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it all started. Okay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So again, another interesting story. And so, so at the point where you decided like, well, did you, first of all, did you finish college for that? You completely graduated with that degree. Okay. I did. All right. Yep. And mm -hmm. what did it look like for call it three years out of, out of that degree? What did it look like for you? Yeah, totally. Uh, graduated in 2016. Um, I was environmental consulting for four-ish years. Uh, three of those, or sorry, yeah, three of those were in San Diego, and the last one-ish was over in Denver. So uh, yeah, four to five years of geology okay. and work in that regard. Okay. And do you miss it at all? <laughs> I love the knowledge I now have with it, especially going on hikes, looking at mountains right. and things like that. It's like, I, I love this quote. It's discovery is not finding new places. It's looking at places with new eyes. Yeah. And so I look at all these new places and old places with brand new eyes mm -hmm. with the geology background. So I have a new appreciation for hikes. Okay. So that's interesting, right? And, and you know, you, we, we were talking about this and maybe I'll get a little specific, um, but this can probably be extrapolated out generally speaking as well. But you said that like in Denver, a lot of the homes that you're looking at are like 1960s, 1970s. That's, that's about the, you know, age, age of the homes around there. Um, so when you say that you look at old things with new eyes, is, are you, do you have a brain that can walk into a completely torn apart house and you can see the finish line? Are you one of those people? Ah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, as an investor, I should be able to, but I have not gained the experience or knowledge to look at it with those kinds of eyes to keep up with the metaphor. Um, I know with you as a flipper and other potential flippers, uh, that are in the business, they could see studs and see the potential in a brand new home. But for me personally, um, I now look at real estate with new eyes now that I'm a licensed real estate agent and investor, uh, especially as a house hacker myself being like, okay, how can I make more bedrooms in this 2,500 square foot right. place? You know, instead of just four, but be four bedrooms, I feel like we can add maybe a couple more based on the square footage right. of this whole, whole place. So, um, not necessarily, especially with, um, the brand new eyes of being a house hacker. It's not necessarily something as that's similar to a flipper. Right. So uh, not there okay. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense because, well, there's, there's two people, right? And there, or multiple people, I guess, in the investment space. And there's the fix and flippers who can walk into a house and say, like, I know exactly what this kitchen is going to look like when it's done versus somebody like you who can walk into a deal and say, I know exactly what this return on my investment is going to look like when it's done. And the cool thing too is, is, and I definitely want to get into this and I want to spend some time talking about this because we, you guys do on the Phi team and w which is something I, at least I don't know if we have any team around us similar to what you guys do is your specialty is house hacking. And mm. so one of the things that I, I, I see and I, why Nick Nick White talks so well about you guys is because I think one of the things that you guys add onto the, so to speak, like first time home buyer specialty mm -hmm. is also the financial literacy because, you know, the, and a lot of first time home buyers 
have to look within their lower budget. But there's not an I, I there's obviously enough knowledge because realtors are always talking about it. But having a team that specifically specializes in I mean, do you guys source some of these house hacks for your clients too? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we scour the MLS and I've gotten to the point where I could see listing photos without it needing like a 3d home tour or anything like that. And can kind of anticipate that there's a backyard entrance that goes straight into the backyard and straight into the basement where now you can live on the main floor and have the basement operate as a rental. So it's something as simple as that. We're like, okay, I've seen enough of these like dozens, if not hundreds now that, okay, I can identify these things, especially in certain areas, certain timing of the builds and all that good stuff. It's all part of the process. And with experience comes the validity, right? Right, right. right. So, and, and like I said, it's, it's one of those things where number one, having that specialty is allowing you to speed up the process so to speak you don't have to you don't have to go to the property you don't have to even necessarily make a call to the listing agent to qualify a property for one of your clients but what i want to get into is is the uh, the financial literacy portion that you guys bring to your clients because yeah as i said i mean you can look at a multifamily and try and throw together some numbers and you know for first time home buyer and hope that it hits but there's something to be said for for building a team around having a first time home buyer essentially cancel out all, if not as much as possible of, of their mortgage every month, because it, it mm-hmm. like I said, it's one thing to shop within your budget. It's another thing to make an early onset positive financial decision. And that's, I think the difference between a first time home buyer buying a condo or a single family, which is not a bad route necessarily. Um, but if they have the option and they're willing to take the option to do that multifamily, you know, it has its pros and its cons. Lifestyle may be on the con side, correct me if I'm wrong, but financially speaking, it's a huge pro. And, you know, w- one of the questions I guess I have for you is what exactly, I guess, w- w- when you talk to a client who comes to you um, or or you find them, right, one of the two, but... Is it tough to get them away from the idea of a condo and a single family and into the idea of a multifamily? Mm. Yeah, they're very valid. And uh, a lot of people, it's funny you bring that up because a lot of people come to me saying, hey, I'm looking for strictly small multifamily, two, three, four units, right? And I, my response often is, so is my mom and your mom and everyone else right. in the neighborhood, right? And so you're paying a premium for the small multifamily properties, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. So what I'm actually gearing my first time home buyers and first time house hackers towards, it's single family homes that can split between the basement and the main floor. Because ultimately, if you were to have one roof that it's under, as opposed to, let's say, a larger roof, and there's a ton more single family homes than there are small multifamilies here in the Denver area, and you're just competing against residential buyers and not investors because investors, they likely have private money, hard money, or something like that, that can outcompete with you for these small multifamilies. So here we are with my discovery call and they often say, hey, I want the moon and the stars and I want to live as comfortably as possible. 
with as much profit as possible. It's like, well, you kind of have to be somewhere on this spectrum right. of comfort versus profitability. And I'm sure you've heard of this. Um, I know it's a common tactic or spectrum that we talk about here within the, the FI team and house hacking in general. The less comfortable you are, the more profitable you will be versus the more comfortable you are, the more or less profitable you will be. Right. So let's say if you were to have a seven bedroom, four bath place and you live in one of those bedrooms and rent out the other six, you're looking at, let's say, 800 bucks per month per bedroom. That's forty eight hundred dollars that you're getting for that whole property. And then you're pretty much living for free at that point, assuming that it's like, what, five hundred to five hundred fifty thousand dollar property. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's all within the discovery call. And I sometimes work with people that are outside of the state that are looking into buying here in Denver and just want to get to know the lay of the land or what their possibility is with getting these small multifamilies. And sometimes it's a little bit of a reality check, but ultimately we find something that's perfect for them and their lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I figured it was probably one of those things that that's, it's, it's a little tough to get them to, I don't want to say reality, but just again, it's like when, you, when that that rush of knowing that you can buy your first property, like just that feeling that you you know I have the money now to buy my first property. It's like yeah. not not everyone's fitted to then accept the fact that it's probably still better to wait on that single family and get into an investment and wait a little bit longer and. It's one of those things where it's I, again like why I, why I keep going back to the fact that your team's built around that is because you have enough experience to show some of those like positive um, house hacking stories, right? And one of the um, one of the the RIAs I go to that New Hampshire uh, Real Estate Investor Association they do a meetup once a month, and it's almost always house hackers that do the house of the month and they mm. present, and it's dude, it's incredible to see like a lot of these people are cash flowing on their own house hacks. They're not even, Crazy. they're not even like canceling out mortgage. They're legitimately cash flowing on day one. And that comes from sourcing an off market and it's a, th- a three or four family and you know, it, you get it off market at a discount, this and that. But I know a couple people on hand who are quite literally cash flowing on their multifamily house hack on their first one. It was after moving out of their that's parents' sweet. house or an apartment. So I, to me, that's, that's crazy. Um, Mm-hmm. But talk to me about a little bit of yours, your your house hack. So when was your first one purchased? Yeah, first one was purchased back in 2019, uh, back in San Diego. And we were considered crazy at the time for even purchasing uh, in 2019 because even back then, and it's very likely that, well, not very likely because I hear it now, that the real estate market is going to crash. And people were telling that to us back in 2019, and they're still telling it to us now. And I'm so glad that I bought back in 2019, uh, as you might have seen like during COVID 2020, 2021, even 2022, huge appreciation, huge equity gains during those years. And so we bought our first duplex at 815,000. Um, in a really good location. We love that location because it's very walkable to restaurants, cafes, bars, ice cream shops. Love ice cream. Just putting it out there for you guys. Um, 
And we bought it with an inherited tenant in the other unit. It's a studio. And we lived in a three bed, two bath and rented out one of the rooms in our three bed, two bath as well. So we were getting two sources of income from that duplex. And it was a grand total of about, let me see, 1500 plus 1200. So uh, yeah, about 2,700 per month that we were getting from house hacking this place. Granted, our mortgage was about 5400 so we yeah. were only cutting in yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's 815 <laughs> on a duplex, but it's San Diego. It's, it's California pricing. So what do you expect? Exactly, man. And we were playing the equity game, you know? Uh, a lot of the like our realtor at the time, he didn't even know what the concept of house hacking was, but he did mention, "Oh, yeah, just rent it out to roommates or something like that." You know, just uh make some extra income along the way to lessen the burden on your shoulders right. with this mortgage. And I was like, okay, you know, it makes total sense. I mean, I came out of college. Uh, I feel like I know exactly what it's like to have a roommate. Right. So might as well keep this lifestyle. Right, right, right. And um, yeah, after that, um, interest rates were decreasing. We refinanced uh, to about 3.5. And uh, eventually we moved out to Colorado in 2020. Uh, so that, yeah, we wanted to do that buy a house hack, live in there for 12 months, move on to the next one, right? And rinse and repeat with 5% down-ish, right? Um, so yeah, now we have Navy tenants in there and with San Diego's housing prices, it's now worth 1.2 million. So we have about 450,000 in equity in there and we're cash flowing about 700 bucks now. And with rents increasing approximately three to 5% every year, shoot, when you're looking at $5,000 per month and that accumulating 3%, you're looking at another like 150 to 200 bucks extra per right. year per month or that increase per year. I feel like I'm a little bit confusing, but I know what you're, I know what you're what talking about. So yeah, I mean like, like quite literally just on a, a 5% increase on a $5,000 a month. I mean, that's 10% would be 500, it's 250. So, so five, five yeah. percent a year, that's, that's a good chunk of change to add on to that cash flow. And one of the things too, that you're sitting on now that I think with multifamilies, it, it, I mean, it, it's all obviously always market dependent and that multifamily kind of sits in the middle of that commercial and residential space, because oftentimes investors aren't buying up a bunch of single family, I mean, Blackstone and, and we own like, you know, BlackRock and all those all those big dogs, they're buying totally. up anything they can. But the reality is your your average commercial investor is not buying a single family home, but they might be buying those three, two, three, four families. So you're kind of in the middle. So when it comes to market appreciation, they kind of feel both sides, right? If single family appreciates, they kind of feel that residential markets increase. So what is cool about yours, I guess, is that in what's now we're in 2024, so in about four to five years, you've gained... 400,000, 450,000 in equity, which, yeah. which in turn, I mean, what, what, what's that? That's going to be, that's a 30 something percent increase. Well, no, that's a, that's a 50% yeah. based on what you bought it for. Yeah. Give or take. Oh yeah. 50% increase. You're right. Yeah. About 400 K increase from 815. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to point out is like how much I put into the place, you know, like we put down three and a half percent. It was an FHA, but we refinanced into a conventional a year later. Um, so yeah, putting down, let's say 50 grand into it and granted it was not easy working with this home because it's a 1930s built flat roof foundation issues and things like that. And we knew that going into it. And 
over the course, I mean, recently we had to replace the flat roof with another, almost like a pool liner because we had a tropical storm over in San Diego. Water was going in there. It's not all rainbows and butterflies, right? right? So uh, one thing I wanted to point out is even though we put down, I say over the course of those five years, approximately 150 grand, including down payment, closing costs, and all these fixes, like we still have 450 grand into the place. So that's what 200% increase, give or take. So uh, that's a pretty solid return on investment uh, as long as we can get the money out of there. Right, 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 exactly. I mean, that's the name of the game. But but if you can, the whole, it, but but here's the other thing too. And, and I, I, I actually want to talk to you about this. I want to bring this up because people yeah. are very, it's very two-sided. It's a two-way street. Um, over leveraging yourself by pulling lines mm. of credit on your properties. Now you're sitting on a property that's that's got a lot of equity, even on top of yeah. just what you put into it. Like subtract that, you're still what probably three hundred grand, and and just yeah. accrued equity over time. So l- less whatever you've paid down. So are you somebody who would pull some of that leverage to to speed up the process of purchasing these multis, or are you trying to do it organically as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I would love to pull out a line of credit. And the conversation first started um, this year, maybe over summertime, maybe a little bit before that. And with these lines of credit, you got to be approved. You know, you got to be a good borrower, good credit score and all that good stuff, which credit score I had no problem with. I have like 800-ish, same with my wife. But um, the thing is, is that with me being a new real estate agent at the time, like maybe six months ago, a year ago, um, I needed those tax numbers or tax statements to show that I have had solid income for the past two-ish years, you know, being self-employed and all that good stuff. And my wife got laid off, you know, approximately six months ago. And it was tough because she's in the tech field. And so she wasn't able to get a job for the next four or five months. And only about a month ago did she finally pick up a job. And so eternally grateful for that. I feel like that's the bigger win here rather than pulling out lines of credit. Um, But it is still something that is very active in our conversations now because we do want to put this money to work. It's just stuck in the house, which I'm kind of grateful for at this point in time because I do not want it to be in the stock market. I love the control, the depreciation, everything about real estate. So having it in there is a fine place to be. So it's just a matter of time before we can actually have her income now reflect that we are good borrowers. We could pay these line of cre- lines of credit on time and things like that. And then uh, next tax statement, I will be able to utilize my self-employment towards that debt to income ratio as well. So it's definitely on our mind, yeah. man. No, and that's great to hear because I know I, I talked to a lot of people and like I said, there's, there's people that are really on both sides, people who will never touch their leverage. They want to buy everything as yeah. much cash as possible. And they never want to touch, touch what they have. Um, and then there's the other people who will like cross collateralize their properties and pull as much like, like they are like 99% leveraged. And I'm like, that's great yeah. because that speeds up the process. But what do you actually own at that point? Right. It's, it's like, mm. it's like, your your name is tied to a bunch of deeds on assets, but you don't hold re- realistically. You don't hold the entire title to any of those assets. It's like a a lot of it is really given to whoever you're in debt to. So not not like it's a bad yeah. idea, but it's just something to keep in mind for for anybody who's like, 
was like, I want to speed up the process as much as possible because I know people who did that pre-08. And it's it, it's still to this day been tough for them to kind of get back. Um, I mean, it was a scary time too. So, Yeah, dude. I, I think that's another thing too, like this over-leveraging. It does make total sense that like, hey, if you're putting on 5% on a home, where does this 95% come right. from? It comes from the bank. And so sure, your name is on title, but who are you paying this loan to? Or what are, where is this money going to, right? right? And so uh, it's gotten to the point where like, okay, ultimately, like let's say 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line, I'd love to be the bank. Mm. I want to be that guy giving money away at a certain interest rate so that I'm able to get money for my right. money, you know? So it makes total sense in the end of where you want to leverage and where you don't want to leverage because in this house, I mean, sure I can, I have enough in there that I'd be able to pull out a good amount and still feel comfortable if there's a downturn in the market and I need to sell for some reason. Right. right? For those people that put down 5%, it's a, it's a great starting point. I would say if you were to leverage yourself, let's say three and a half percent or even no money down, make sure you hold on to the property for at least five years. Because at that point, you can see that appreciation gain and equity gain over time and use it to your advantage. Right. right. So let me ask you this then. I want to give you a hypothetical. So I'm a client. Yep. I'm 23 years old and I'm coming up to you and I'm saying, I have 50 grand in the bank. I don't want to use all the 50,000. I make 75 to 80 grand a year. And I want to get into my first property, but I'm all right with it being a multifamily. It, okay. Tell me what direction you'd point me in. Yeah, 100%. I'd say first things first, um, as much as I'd like to hear your income and how much you're getting, we need to get you in touch with the lender. And of course, Nick White's a great asset for that. And he's very willing and able to help out with my clients. And so... I would say hit up your lender. If you don't have one, I have a ton of great ones in my own database and it all depends on your situation. So um, once we actually get an idea of what your number is, as far as how much you can pay for your monthly amount, then I ask you, is this comfortable? Is this a good amount for you? Do we want to max out how much you want to pay upfront every month, right? And I would highly doubt that that is the case. So we will look at a more reasonable number. Let's say if you're, Budget is forty five hundred a month. Let's make it thirty five hundred a month. That way, you're setting aside a thousand a month for capital expenditures, vacancies, and things like that. Then we look at what your lifestyle is. Are you? Do you have a partner? Do you have a pet? Are you in need of a garage and things like that? If you are just living alone, I'd say we look at let's say six, seven bedroom places with three or four bedroom or bathrooms. That way, you can fully utilize the power of the rent by the room strategy. If you want to have a more comfortable lifestyle, I say we look at a side-by-side -side duplex or even a basement unit that you can rent out as well. So then it sort of goes into the what's your preference situation. Once we know your number, assuming your number is a reasonable number as far as budget goes, if you can only afford a condo, then great. Let's say if we can find a three-bed, two-bath condo and you can rent out the two bedrooms. And so will that be equivalent to how much you were renting beforehand? Then perfect. Now you own a home and you're paying the same as if you were renting at the same time. Right. So there's just a lot more questions along with that. And uh, 
Tyler, I'd love to get more into it with you, but it sounds like you already know your stuff though. <laughs> Good work. Good work. I love that. And now I'm going to challenge you a little bit more. How does that change if I say I want to get out of my job in three years and I'd like to, I'd like to expedite the process and I'm okay with maxing oh, out my man. budget. Where do we go from there? Yeah, that's really good. Um, if you want to retire in three years. Not retire. Oh no, gosh. no. Sorry. I guess not retire. Yeah. Let me rephrase that because that's, that's a tough okay. one. That's a okay. tough one. I, I know what you mean. I guess <laughs> I don't necessarily want to live off the cash flow in, in, in three or five years, but I would like to eventually do some something similar to what you did is – this is a hypothetical because obviously I have my real estate license. Sure. But let's just say I wanted to eventually get into real estate full time in the next three to five years. So given I go at a normal realtor's pace, at what point mm. could I comfortably say, all right, I'm ready to take the risk to jump out of that job in three years? Where would you point me in that direction? Ah, I'm okay with maxing out my that's current a, budget. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, that's good. Um yeah, so it would depend on what your lifestyle is looking like. I mean, do you have car payments? Do you have student loans? Do you have to do, you know, uh, what else is on your financial statement, right? With your personal assets and liabilities. So if you're looking at, let's say, grand total all in 2500 a month for your living expenses. If your living expenses are 2500 a month, let's find you a way to get 2500 a month. That way you don't need a job. You can keep having that job and just supercharge it with being a realtor or being an investor on the side, right? And so with that 2500 a month coming in from let's say you house hacking for the past 3 years and now you have three properties in your portfolio, I mean, let's say if each of them gives you about 800 bucks um, per month for each place, which is not unfeasible or infeasible. I don't even know what the opposite is. Um, but let's say you are able to get 800 bucks a month in cash flow for those other two properties. And maybe let's say you're living for free in that third property, right? I'd say that's entirely possible. Now you can look at other opportunities with your job that you don't necessarily need, but now you can look at things that you want. And so that's the whole power of real estate where you can decide what you want to do for your life instead of, okay, I need to do this. I need to uh, stay at work instead of go on vacation because the boss needs to love me. Like, no, now it's in your control of where this time resource is now allocated. And so I feel like we can definitely come up with a good portfolio plan with you and house hacking in general so that you can have the appreciation of three properties go up over time rather than maybe just one. Right. And so, yeah, we would have to work pretty tightly on that. Yeah, well, and that would be a situation where we're looking for probably lower price properties that have somewhat of a, of a short potential to appreciate so that I could use yes. that leverage on three properties because mild appreciation on one property that's much more expensive might not in turn bring you the same dollar amount that three properties variable appreciations, right? So if like one area went up 2%, one area went up 4% versus one property going up three, you're better off having mm. it set in different areas. And I'll add one other thing to it because you, you mentioned something awesome. You said 2,500 let's say hypothetical living expenses, let's find yeah. a way to, um, to mitigate those expenses. But what I, I guess I didn't mention is that hypothetically I'm paying 2000 a month in rent. So worst case scenario, mm. we're almost to that 2,500 by just, by, by just 
cutting out what I would personally owe on a mortgage. So if I can find a place to live for free and get out of a rent situation, that 2000 I was putting into rent can go to the living expenses. Already you're pretty much taken care of because you have that extra extra stream. And again, kind of like what you said, supercharging it. So yeah, I love to pick your brain about this side of things because like I said, I don't often talk to like house hackers specifically. Um, something that I think eventually I might want to get into personally as well. Um, I mean, I love flipping, so I'll probably stick with that. And, <laughs> and who knows, maybe I'll do the single family first time home buyer thing. Um, yeah. But so the other thing I wanted to ask you too is, is that with such a unique sort of path, right? Such, such a unique, um, I, I guess, way that you, you and your team go about business and go about what clientele you're truly helping. How are you building a brand based on that? And how is your team building a brand based on that? Yeah, totally. Uh, well, the FI team, financial independence team, the FI team is led by Craig Kerlop. Uh, he is the pretty much synonymous with house hacking. Um, the dude, uh, just to get a little, give a little synopsis or understand what kind of grit he has. Um, he has lived in the living room and rented out his other four bedrooms for maximum cash flow. And I think it was uh, cash flowing what over a thousand dollars a month, just because he sacrificed so much for his own house hack and get as much money as possible so that he can retire sooner. So. Uh, Brand awareness. So with the fine team, I know with Craig and a lot of the agents on the team, um, they're putting out short form content and, you know, dabbling a little bit in, let's say, webinars, but he's also showing up for Bigger Pockets conferences and just putting his name out there where other house hackers might be. And uh, let's say for I my, myself, I'm very active on social media and uh, I produce uh, weekly YouTube videos as well for people that want to buy, sell, or just invest in the Denver area. Uh, I pride myself in knowing that consistency will pay off. And finally, over the course of a year and a half now, and you know, going to hit two years in about June of 2024, um, just posting a weekly YouTube video and three to five times a week on short form content. And that that has given me a lot of leads going forward and previously and knowing that I can enjoy myself with creating these skits, um, house tours, numbers, analytics, things happening in Denver and people want to reach out to me. That is how I'm creating that brand awareness and uh, have fun at the same time. I like getting behind a camera, honestly. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny you say that because um, I've, I've been talking to people about it and that they'll, they'll ask similar like how how did you like how do you get in the front of the camera for the first time and i'm like dude i sat in my basement for like two hours and i'm like i'm a fucking idiot why am i looking at this <laughs> why am i looking at this lens and talking to myself while looking at myself totally. and then eventually you get over it and you're like it, it's like it's like talking just to somebody else but um now it, it is a funny hump to get over do you have any funny stories about trying to get in front of the camera in the beginning Oh man, I have the cringiest <laughs> videos when I first started. It's so embarrassing, yeah. man. Um, I I will say that anyone, I, okay, let me back up. There is so much upside for you to create your brand on social media. I do not find many bad pathways with content creation that you should like. You shouldn't even care about that, right? With you putting your face out there and people seeing your face online, they automatically 
recognize your face if they see you in person, right? right? Especially if they've been watching your content for weeks, months, even years at a time, right? right? So uh, funny stories. I mean, nothing really in particular. I just know I was so cringy, bad lighting, horrible equipment, which you don't need great equipment. I mean, your phone is a great place to start. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's what, what, like... 50 megapixel iPhone 15. Like, my gosh, you have your professional camera right here. You know, right. like it's in your pocket literally all the time. So um, that's how I first started. And your first hundred videos are going to suck ass. Like, yep. I'm not going to lie. Yep. Mine definitely did. And so once you get over that hump, once you understand you have all these data points, okay, this sucked, this sucked, this sucked, this sucked. But then, okay, this is better. This is better. This is yep. better. And it can completely changes your mindset knowing that, hey, I've come from humble beginnings with horrible videos, and now I can be prideful in where I'm at right now and project myself and my ideas behind a camera and eloquently say it or articulate it in a way that people can understand it in a entertaining way. So um, I feel like a lot of people can benefit from that. It's just I do not want to teach a fish how to climb a tree, right? If you're good at cold calling, keep cold calling. If you're good at door knocking, keep door knocking. But my clientele are first-time home buyers, and those are millennials and Gen Zers. Yep. And so I, where are they at? They're on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. Yep. So that's where I produce my content. Absolutely. No, that that's awesome. I, I like what you just said there. And, and you um, – yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's really a matter of find like finding that audience, right? And one of the things that I think that, um, and by no means am I am I dogging on like older realtors, but one of the things that I think that they they may lack is that a lot of the a lot of the newest wave of buyers are the younger generation. Where are you going to find the younger generation? Not on a newspaper ad. You, you know what I mean? You're you're not going to find them in the in these older environments. I mean, hell, there's some people who haven't and left their house in like two years because they can work from their house. They can get DoorDash. They can get everything. They're barely even walking away from their house. So it's like, you know, the old ways of marketing, I think, still work. But again, it, it depends on who you want to bring in. And exactly. I want to come back to this real quick, but there was something that I wanted to highlight that I'd forgotten. I just remembered going back to what you were yep. saying about um, the hypothetical situation I was giving you. One of the things you mentioned, too, is uh, personal financial statement. I think that Everybody here, after listening to this, because I did the same thing too, should go home and make their own personal financial statement. I think it's huge. I, I, I don't think you should show anybody if you don't want to, but I definitely think that you should have it in front of you. You should check in at least quarterly to see where am I at, where's my at, where are my assets at, where are my liabilities at. And I don't care if you're making ten grand a year or ten million a year. You should do it regardless because what you need to pick up on are patterns. And I posted a video today, um, somebody I had on this podcast, his name is Jake Burhans. And one of the things he was saying in the video is like, well, if I want to make 100000 a month, what does somebody who makes $100,000 a month do? He's a wholesaler. So they do a, they do a decent amount of volume. But he's like, what, what do I have to do? Who do I have to become to be the person to make $100,000 a month? And the only way that you can do that is trace back, look at the patterns that you had, the things that work, the things that don't, and very simply put, just keep doing the things that worked. Like you said, keep door knocking if you're good at door knocking. The only way you're going to know is if you go back and you take a look at your history of door knocking. Is it doing well? Am I good Mm -hmm. at it? And it's the same with a personal financial statement. You want to see, like, 
Are my expenditures going up and my income's not? Are my ass is my asset acquisition going down and my liabilities are increasing? And what does that look mm -hmm. like? Because you can never grow from having no history of anything. Um, so I think for anybody that that listens to this, do a quarterly financial statement. Depend, no matter what you make for income, I think that's huge. 100%, man. It's funny how many skeletons are in the closet until like you don't even know how many there are until you open up that door exactly. right and it's a little scary on first at first like overturning a rock you're gonna find some bugs right, right, you right. know but i mean overturning some rocks you're gonna find some gold too mm -hmm. so as long as you are using that information for power and for guiding you in the right direction to a lifestyle that you want i'd say it's so worth it and there are some basic applications out there and mint.com is actually going down but um you need a budget ynab Excellent. I would say go there, plug in all your information as far as like accounts, things like that. Um, it's secure. Don't worry. <laughs> but that way you can see where the money is going all in one place. All your credit cards, your home loans, your auto loans, things like that. All your income is coming into one place too. And it shows you, hey, this month you made this much. Right. And then over the course of 12 months, maybe even 24 months, you can see the direction you're going. Right. I just actually did rocket money. This is a similar reason. Okay. Rocket money's great too. It's like it, it categorized everything for me. I know exactly where all my expenses are going. And I use it just because I'm like, how how, how am I paying like 1500 bucks a month for subscriptions? How the hell did this happen? <laughs> like, you know, between totally. like work subscriptions or whatever, but then these little things fizzle in and I'm like, what have I, what have I been paying for? And so I was like, I just want to yeah. put all my accounts on here. And then I learned a lot more about my spending and I'm like, ugh. I don't like that. So I, I got to work off of that. But um, going back to what we were just saying, exactly what you just just said about um, just utilizing those platforms to to see where you're at financially. And one of the things that I always talk about too, like if you're looking to to buy a house, you typically don't make that decision overnight. It's it's a decision that you make sometimes over a year, sometimes even over two years. I mean, Nick has people who reach out to him who are looking to buy in like five years. The point is, it's like yeah. the second that you know, there, people like us, we're good about trying to educate people on who do you talk to first? Who's the best person to talk to first? And I think some of the best steps to take are talking to that lender. Like I talked to a, to a lender when I was, I wasn't even 18, I don't think. I think I called up a lender and I was 17, but I'm like, I know I want to buy in the next year and a half or two years. So I'm like, what should I do? So he, he had, he had just explained to me, get, get another credit card, this, this open mm -hmm. line of credit, this usage, this and that, um, got my credit up to, I think it was like a 752 when I was like 18. So, and my parents never co-signed. So that was only my credit. So that really worked. I was super grateful for that. But, but again, just those taking those financial steps. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm sure that you and your team push as much as possible education wise. And I saw some of your content. It's the perfect mix between entertaining and educational and informative. And, and like, that's what you <laughs> need because it's like, it, it, it's the reality is it's boring stuff really to the, to the yeah. average person. It's boring stuff, but the sexier you make it look, the better off the client is. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that, uh, edutainment is what I like to coin it as. I like and, that. um, 
I think another reason why, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to transition this way, but uh, I'm going to be living in a van for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. And the reason why, um, well, not the reason why, but something that I want to uh, implement while I'm on the road here is showing people what is possible thanks to real estate. And so if I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I have Starlink giving me internet access and I'm able to post up my weekly YouTube video and produce content on social media channels. And they're seeing that I'm in the middle of nowhere and able to communicate these things thanks to real estate. I'd say that's a powerful message Mm -hmm. and people would be able to look at that and be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe not the van life is for me. I like where I'm living, but maybe I can have a different type of lifestyle. Maybe I could be closer to the city Mm -hmm. thanks to real estate. Maybe I can house hack closer to the city. That way I'm in walkable neighborhoods. I can bike to work and I'm not forced to drive or pay for gas or something like that. So um, yeah, going back to the original point of like, hey, communicating all these things and understanding what people are actually watching on YouTube or social media just having an end goal and showing people what is possible through the sacrifice in the short term can produce the lifestyle you want in the long term. Right, right, right. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier um, with, with that idea of, of taking a step back and saying just because you're ready to buy a single family house financially may not be the best situation for you long term. Um, yeah. But absolutely, I want to talk about the van life. That's because one of the things that you mentioned too is like, you're going to be showing that lifestyle and you're going to be showing what's possible. That's a very different lifestyle to show from the person who drives around in the bends and pulls up yeah. to a $10 million house and lives that life. Because the difference between the two is one's very minimalistic and one's very high ticket. And both are very, very achievable with real estate. I mean, both are achievable with virtually any sort of success. But the point being True. that the i the idea that you can you can jump into that high ticket lifestyle seems less attainable than the minimalist lifestyle at the end of the day hmm. they both come down to freedom realistically they both come down to freedom like i had somebody on here actually that that kid jake his his business partner he had just gotten back from like bali and for a month and and he was like in south america before that and he was over in san diego for a couple of weeks and he was in italy before like he was all over he was traveling for like six That's months sick. and they're wholesalers and he works all from wherever he is in the world so very similar to what you're doing it's a little less his is a little less minimalistic than yours um which <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day like like i said what we're all trying to buy is freedom the reality is nobody and yeah. i talked to a uh when I was like 16, I met with this former hedge fund manager. Don't even ask me how the hell I got in front of a billion-dollar hedge fund manager. But we're at like a TGI <laughs> Fridays, and I'm sitting in front of this guy, and we're talking, and he's like – he's explaining to me the life. And he's like, when I was in on Wall Street, he's like, it was great. I had a lot of fun. He's like, we'd fly private. We went to all these dinners, all these parties. But he's like, you're working 100 hours a week. You never see your family. Mm-hmm. You're only back from Saturday night to Sunday Sunday afternoon, and then you're back to Wall Street. He's like, it, it, the life the lifestyle is is fun if you're a partier and that's all you want to do. Other than that, you have no other life. The reality is, I think ninety mm-hmm. percent of people would choose a minimalistic lifestyle where they have freedom 
over the high ticket lifestyle where they're beholden to something all day, every day. And if they don't do it, they don't have that lifestyle anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that family aspect is always a concern, a priority that people need to have in weighing out the possibilities and options for their lifestyle that they want. Right. And so it's just me and my wife right now. And we got a big dog, Archie. And with just us two in the van, like that is my family. Right. She is my family. Like now I get to spend as much time with her as I want in a way where it's not breaking the budget. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot more people in our generation, millennial Gen Zers, where they're not looking for the hugely affluent kind of lifestyle. They're not looking for the bends or the car payments or, you know, compounding on the student loans. They're looking for something that's a little bit more intentional. Right. right? And so that's kind of the lifestyle that I also resonate with and having my family with me already, I feel like it's a win-win at this right. point, you know? So I, I thoroughly enjoy it and I can't wait to start it. Yeah, now. that's awesome. So you told, told me the other day it got a little delayed. You were actually supposed to be in the van tonight. Um, that got <laughs> a little right. delayed. Why'd it get delayed? <laughs> yeah, good question, man. Uh, I'm glad you're prying into it. So um, yeah, we realized because my cat, uh, she is not my cat, but cat, Your wife. wife. I, I kind of picked up on that a second later. I was like, I, th I think probably talking about his wife. <laughs> um, she is now a senior developer, hmm. a senior like senior software engineer, wow. and she's in a realm of um, she wants to do good work. Yep. And I pride her for doing that stuff, and she prides herself with maintaining that um, that status, right? So we need to make sure that she's able to have reliable internet no matter where she is. And so we realized that instead of like being in the city all the time where we have to be in libraries, WeWorks, or I mean, WeWorks bankrupt now, but uh, wherever it might be for the common working space, we don't even know if that Wi-Fi is reliable. And so what we wanted to do was get Starlink. So we bought Starlink uh, last week and it literally came in today. So now... Um, we're going to play out the Monday through Friday, like tomorrow, all the way until Friday uh, with her work and then try to hit the road by Saturday, man. Oh, so that's kind of the plan soon. now. Very yeah, soon. we were just waiting on Starlink so that we have reliable-ish internet. You let know? me know how that works. So that's it. Starlink's, Starlink's cool. That, that's cool. So let me know how that works. <laughs> so, um, but what's your route going to look like? And, and do you, the other question I have real quick is do you own the van or are you renting that? Yeah, owning the van. Uh, we own the van. It's a Ram ProMaster 2500. Uh, I, I had no idea what that meant before uh, June of this year. So it's basically like a big Amazon truck, uh, like, you know, pretty boxy. And now we have like cupboards on uh, like above our heads, uh, a bed that also is multi-purpose as benches as well. Um, so we own that, we financed it and, um, we got it built out. We hired Alisa of drive home vans, go check her out on Instagram at drive home vans. Uh, she's trying to make it, uh, accessible for the common person to live a van life, even if they just have to rent it. So you got to go check her out. Uh, this was her fourth van build and yeah, we just told her all the specifications that we wanted as far as like. We want to be able to work in our van and 
she made it happen and we're ecstatic of how it turned out really stoked to actually put it to good use yeah i'd love to see some photos because um my dad just bought a pro master 2500 for work oh yeah no way. so, so yeah. um and I, I know the inside and i'm interested to see how you made that work very interested yeah man but, i'll send it over to yeah, you man yeah yeah you got it and so back to the the route so where are you going yeah, we're going directly south first. Um, I guess prior to this, it's good to know that we actually have a uh, trip out to Patagonia mid-February. So we'll be going out to Texas, uh, Austin, San Antonio, and Corpus Christi, where a bunch of our friends are, um, for about a month. Then we're coming back to Denver to fly out to uh, Punta Arenas over in Chile. So um, we're staying there for about 14 days and then coming back end of February and then continuing on the whole route. We're planning on going to Texas, then over to the Southwest. So San Diego, Phoenix, Flagstaff areas. Spend a lot of time in San Diego because our extended family is over in San Diego and just camp on the beach, stoked on it. And then come up the Pacific Coast Highway, go to like the Bay Area, Oregon, you know, Eugene, Portland, and then go up to Seattle, then visit Craig over in Idaho, then land back in Denver, <laughs> and then sort of make this figure eight. And so then go down to the Southeast, come up, visit my brother in Virginia, friends in North Carolina, friends in Massachusetts, and probably even see you too, say, Tyler. Up I'm... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like right down the road. You know oh. it, man. So yeah. We're trying to do everything we can to see as much as we can. Um, we're probably going to go into Canada too and see if we can make a trip up to Alaska during the summer. Ooh. So we'll see, That'd man. Uh, the world's our oyster at this yeah, point. Yeah, so that's going to be what? Probably a six to eight month trip total. Yeah, wow. give or take, man. Uh, so uh, I guess to be fully transparent let you in on my life, um, so – we're probably going to keep up with the van life until we probably have a kid oh. and cats uncomfortable with, um, you know, being nine months or eight months pregnant or something right. like that, you know? So, uh, we're making it life, dude. We're, we're just making it as real as possible and trying to learn the ins and outs of, um, you know, our relationship as well. So, uh, if, I mean, since I'm on the same vein, hopefully you can allow me to have this space, uh, to talk oh, about yeah, it real yeah, quick, yeah. Tyler. Cool. Thanks, man. Um, it's not your financials. It's not the job you have. It's not the car you have. It's the partner you have in your life that will determine how successful you are. And if me and Kat are able to quote unquote, survive this <laughs> in a relationship wise and considering all the variables and trials and tribulations, bad weather, tires popping, engines going bad, bad neighborhoods, things like that. If we can survive all that, I know that we will have a rock solid relationship. So I am a firm believer in having a solid spouse, a solid partner in your life for whatever it happens to be that whatever happens in your life, you have someone that you can rely on and you can ask for advice and just count on them. It is worth every penny, every thought, every effort to make sure that they're happy and make sure that you're all in a hundred percent on both sides. It's not a 50, 50, it's a hundred and 100. I love that, man. That's awesome. I, you know, there's, there's so much that, come, that comes to mind when I, when I hear something like that, where it's, it's, I'm going to, since I'm a logical pe 
human being and I'm going to take the logical yeah. road to it and extend on that. <laughs> but you, everyone knows the quote. You're, you're obviously a, a mix of the five closest people in your life, but you're most like yeah. the first and the first is probably always going to be your spouse. And so it's very true yeah. that you are a reflection of your spouse and your reflection, your spouse is a reflection of you. So it, it, kind of what you said, the tribes and tribulations of going through that, that van life and that tight knit, I wasn't going to say it. You said it first, it's going to be a very tight knit and, um, you know, you know very close, <laughs> totally. uh, sort of relationship, but, but that's, you say yeah. it perfectly. Like if you can get through that, you guys know that you're aligned enough so that your reflections of each other are just as well of your reflections of your own self. And that's huge because kind of what you said, and, and I'm not, I'm, 21. I'm not going to speak on having a child yet, but what I do know about having a child and, and with the way that I was raised is that when, when your parents are so aligned on just about everything, whether or not they actually agree on everything to your face uh, or, or, or behind the scenes, as long as they're aligned on the general morals and values of how they want to raise you, then you're nearly set up for success if you take the opportunity to do so. And yeah, like you said, everything's about that partner and that spouse. And then once you have a kid, I feel like everything's about that partner, spouse, and kid. And it, it's now a triangle. Mm -hmm. And but, it, but again, it's so important that, that you can be proud of the reflection of your spouse that you have. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're not put under enough pressure anymore, uh, I guess, in relationships, so to speak, to where you can actually find those those qualities right like like it was yeah. probably much easier when life was more geared towards survival than than thriving right because <laughs> totally. then you're put under pressure and you see people's true colors and you guys are going to be put in in these kind of stressful and frustrating situations here and there and i think it's incredible what you're doing you know there's, there's some books that are like 101 questions to ask before you get married and things like that but that's just a book and you know we're all pretty good liars we have a good if you at all play poker if you all, <laughs> at all play poker you have a poker face so it's pretty easy to get through that so you will definitely learn a yeah. lot about each other um yeah it's amazing though man thanks thanks man yeah it's um it's a journey, dude. And you being 21, I will say too um, that you're you were much you are currently much more articulate than what I was when I was 21. I was playing video games constantly, holed up inside my house before COVID. So like Zoom never really existed. I had to go out forcefully. You know what I mean? So you're in a good space, man. I, I feel like you're. You got a lot of years ahead of you and with you starting out with this podcast and investing and flipping and getting a head start on all this stuff, man. I didn't start investing till I was 29 and here I am now, you know, and if you think that I'm on some sort of pedestal, no, dude, like you are so far ahead mentally compared to where I was that you're just going to be so set for life in the future, like even five years from now, if you continue on this trajectory. So I have really high hopes for you, man. Thank so you. this is, yeah. this is a good start. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm wrapping this no, up. No, but no, like, no, 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 I really, <laughs> I, had to put this I know. Up. I really appreciate those, those kind of words, man, because as I said, it's like it, one of those things where I've, I've always said, you can't teach the janitor how to clean a floor if you've never done it yourself. It's a simple job, so to speak, mm. but you can't teach it if you never did it. And so I, yeah. I'd be remiss to, to sit here and try and tell people to do these personal financial statements early and to try and figure out how to set themselves up early, financially speaking, 
if I didn't do it myself. And as I said, too, it's it's yeah. like it, to what you were saying about the van life and how it's going to affect you and your wife's um, sort of relationship and how it's going to trickle down. I always give a lot of credit to my parents and how they raised me. They were so aligned and they raised me with those values and morals and, and that, that were so set in stone. There was never a question about them. And so it's the trickle down effect. And, and you know, if I'm going to get a little, um, I guess I'm not even controversial, but just if we're looking for the next 20 years of a, of, of a, a generation that's better than ours, I think it truly comes down to what sort of what you said, the most important thing is that spouse and is that relationship is that strong family unit. And if you can figure out those ways to put yourself under pressure, like diamonds are made under pressure, I consider the relationship, a, a perfect relationship to be that diamond. It, it only gets better under pressure. And the reality is, is if you can be so good to the point where you can let it trickle down to your children, that's how you're going to make the generation better. But it all starts with that inner family unit. At least that's my perspective on it. Um, Mm. and i I, like 100 yeah and i agree yeah and i and i can't speak enough on the what what you're doing putting yourself in that situation like fighting fighting the fire that you know is going to happen inevitably if you don't just face it now um but no i i I really appreciate that man yeah i i'm looking forward to growing this podcast and having more more guys on like you who can kind of explain their perspectives and things and, 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 you know, cause everyone I have on here is so unique and everyone I have on here has so mm. many different beginnings, so many different passions. I've never had anyone on here who's traveling the country in a van and it's, it's that's sick. <laughs> honestly, dude, I might have to do that. Like, like I I've, I've seen the videos before and everyone makes it look so cool, but I'm like, ah, oh, this is a drop shipper who does this. Like, obviously he can do it. He's, he's never put himself in front of a camera until this van life. So, um, that's one other question. I don't want to keep you too long, but I am very interested to know as a as a realtor, how are you going to make that work? Yeah, I am the guinea pig, man. I'm uh, trying to see how this all works out uh, while I'm on the road. I'm going to be continuing to making content, YouTube weekly, uh, social media three to five times a week, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and all that good stuff. Um, I'm going to see, man, if this has to be purely a referral-based business, I'm completely fine with that. If it maintains my lifestyle and I just give someone's name, email, and phone number to some other agent for 25% of that commission check, I am completely fine with it. The thing is, is that I want to be, I still want to be that agent where if they do want to work with me, all I have to do is have other people that are on site, on location to do the showings for me. Other than that, right. I could do everything remotely. I'm able to work on a cloud-based platform for writing contracts, negotiating. I mean, I rarely ever see the listing agent in mm, person. Yeah. I'm just doing everything electronically, right? So why not keep up with that trend and be proof that potential future agents can live the same lifestyle that I can and not have that limiting belief of, oh, I'm not going to be in the place where I'm licensed. I can't be a real estate agent. I'd rather give it a shot, man. And along the way, I'm also figuring out ways of, let's say, doing rental arbitrage, uh, just trying to be as location independent as possible so that I can maintain this lifestyle as much as possible. So before I say no, I'd rather give it all the shots that I can um, if it's the lifestyle that I want to live. I love that. Yeah, one one thing that Nick Nick has been telling me a lot lately is one of the things he's trying to do is feed the feeder. And by feed the feeder, meaning like sort of maximizing those funnels, 
to feed leads down. If we were talking about it specifically, that's what it means. And so you would be the feeder in a referral-based business. Mm. And your on-site referral-based partners would be the ones that feed you, right? Because your content's mm. going to feed the feeder, which, again, you're the feeder giving them. But them having the ability or you having them to have the ability to be on the site ready to go to to kind of follow through with that, they're sort of feeding you. And it's that kind of that circle right there. And so whether it's a referral-based business or somehow you can have somebody on site where you you do everything, the only thing that they really have to do is just be on the on-site person to bring them yeah. to showings and things like that. I think that that's, I think that that's something worth making in your own YouTube series on is just weekly, <laughs> how am I making Sorry. this van life work remotely as a realtor because that's the number one thing i hear with 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 agents and to be honest i'm one of the agents who says like i don't do a ton of volume partially because i i don't always want to stick around here and and i feel like it's one of those jobs where you have to stick around and so i'd love to see you make a series that just talks about how am i running a, a business as a real estate agent completely remote and if you can get to the point where it's not even referral based it's a it's truly being a realtor i'd love to see that just some food for thought. Mm, you're on to something, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that's something that I can do. Um, and a lot of uh, content creator coaches, triple C's here, they say, don't create, just document. Yeah. Just document what you're doing. And so if I'm just telling people what I'm doing as far as like, hey, this is my content schedule. This is why I think this piece of content is going to resonate with a whole bunch of people. This is why I'm making this type of YouTube video that's 15 minutes long then maybe people resonate with that. Right. And so I'm really excited to see it, man. Um, I, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of variables. And I had that same exact mindset of like, oh man, if I'm not going to be in Denver, then what the heck am I doing as a real estate agent? Right. You know, but I, I compare it. One last thing I wanted to say about, you know, working as an agent outside of Colorado is I had that limiting belief as well, where no one's going to be wanting to work with me if I'm not there to meet them in person, especially as a first time home buyer, as a first time home buyer, like I knew I wanted to see my agent in person because right. that's a pretty daunting series of events of buying a home. Right. Totally. Right. And so I mentioned to a couple of people and they kind of said the same exact things like, well, you know, maybe if you show with other people, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. That makes sense, but I still had that doubt in my mind. But there's this one guy, Dan Ginther, big shout out to him if he ever listens to this. Um, I talked to him about it and he was like, dude, what what have you been doing? You, you're house hacking. You've been house hacking since 2019. How are you able to afford this van lifestyle? I was like, well, it's actually thanks to real estate partly and hoping that I can see if I can find some remote work along the way or make real estate work even harder for me while I'm on the road. I was like, dude, sell that. That's your story. Mm. If you're able to tell people that you're able to live this lifestyle thanks to real estate, those first-time home buyers, those house hackers, those financially independent-minded people will see your story and want to live that right. life. And I think they would want to come to you to ha at least have a conversation with you. I was like, dude, you're on oh, to yeah. something. I kind of like this, man. Right. So I'm going to give it a shot, man. Uh, I I'm all in 100%. Right. If you want something that somebody else has, you have to become what they are very yes. similar. So yeah, I think, I think people would be chasing you down with your own story. And I think it, there's a difference between making it seem like, uh, the client's a conveyor belt versus 
making it just sound so easy to the point where like for them it's daunting and you come and you're not it's not like you're a number and it's just i'm going to push you through but you are yeah you are taking care of whether i'm here or not because it's a lot easier than you might think Mm, 100 percent, man Um, yeah that's it but yeah man so (laughs) wrapping up here here's something that i do every episode i don't know if you've listened to any episodes but i asked the last guest to leave a question for the next guest and so i had nick on last time uh, I'm not going to, I mean, you, you may have, you may know who the other guest was. I don't know. Um, but let's just pretend you don't. So uh, okay. his, his question was who was an athlete you strive to be like in your professional life? Mm. In my professional life, dude. Um, I was going to say Michael Jordan, cause he's the first that came to mind. I do MJ's the, the goat of goats. Um, but Kobe, uh, I will say Kobe was the second that actually came to mind because there's this one story that um, I saw and he did not say, I want to be the best because I want NBA titles or because I want that MVP, right? Or I want to be on the Olympic team, whatever it might be. He just said, I want to be the best, period, mm. He had no contingencies. He had nothing in addition to saying, I want to be the best. And I don't know what the best looks like for me, but all I know is that being the best, let's say husband, brother, son, dog owner, (laughs) just being the best of me, you know, like knowing that I, if, if I know that I could have put in more effort, I would be upset at myself because only I know how much effort I could have put into certain right. things. And so Kobe would be the person that I would strive to be in my professional career. Cause I want to do the best and be the best at what I'm doing. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I I've seen that too, where it's like, yeah, the difference between what contingencies you put on and what you don't, because the, here's the thing. You're not always going to stick around with the same passions. That's just reality. Some passions stay around mm. for your entire life. Some don't. So if you say, I want to be the best guitar player and decide in a month from now, you don't want to be a guitar player. You're no longer striving to be the best. It has to be general mm. and blanket enough, a statement like that to be able to ensure that it's a lifestyle, not not a, a profession that you're striving in that for. And I think that that's mm. actually one of the reasons why you see so many people like, like they they're exceptionally high earners, but then the rest of their life is just crumbling because they're not looking to be the best. They're looking to be the best in one thing. And so Mm -hmm. I think the bet saying that you want to be the best also requires balance. Exactly what we were starting off this entire conversation, the beginning saying like the balance of van life, the balance of work and things like that is you need to be the best at it all. And by doing that, you need to fill each, each and every cup. Hmm. Dude, full circle yep. here. Love yeah, it, dude. Absolutely. So, what uh, what do you have for the next guest? Oh you man, you can take some time. You um, can take some time if you need to. Yeah, it, can it? I mean, is it? Can I be funny? Absolutely. Like, can it, it can be, be just like a silly anything. question? Anything. The only requirement okay. I ever okay. ask is that that it could be answered in a way where it would bring some sort of value to to mm. a, a young entrepreneur. Um. Or in your case, maybe just think of like a young client too that you'd be speaking to and having somebody answer. But yeah, it can be it can be funny. I don't. Yeah. Okay. 
No, yeah, I'll I'll keep on the uh, more entrepreneurial path-minded kind of audience member. Um, what have you failed at this week? Mm. I'll keep it at that because it's not necessarily something that's um, like, okay, I'll back up. Failing at something means you tried it and who knows if you'll like it. But the fact that you tried something new is something that the common American, especially at my age, is not willing to do because they're set in their ways. They want to be somewhere else and they're not willing to put in the time, effort, or potential failures along the way to try to reach that level. And so my next question would be, what have you failed at this week? I like that. Yeah. That's going to that's gonna be for some transparency on somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah, open. <laughs> I love that, man. Um, all right. Final thoughts. I, I like to just make sure I get everybody's one, three, five, and 10-year goals to see where uh, where you see yourself professionally or yeah. lifestyle, you, you, however you want. Okay. Okay. One, three, five, one, three, ten. Five, ten. Yep. Okay. One year from now, um, I will be 36. Oh, my God. Um, I will be a new father um, and proven to the audience and the world that you can be a real estate agent and not have to live in your licensed state. Uh, three years, I will still be the best husband and dad that I could be. Um, I will have a more flourishing business and be a educator in, let's say, community college because I spent seven years there. <laughs> I would love to be an educator in that space in financial independence and house hacking potentially. Uh, five years, um, potentially teaching at an actual school, like an elementary school or maybe not, maybe not elementary, but like let's say high school or college uh, electoral um, classes based on financial independence, but basically just being more of an educator mm -hmm. as years go on. And then uh, 10 years, shoot, definitely retired. Um, I do not <laughs> want to work if I have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what that might look like, I don't care. I think the main thing here is that I don't have to work if I don't want to, which is where education and helping other people reach the same destination is probably my goal as well. And I have a lot of similarities with the five teams goal, which is bring down the national retirement age on average from 60 to 55. Ooh, and so like that. that is, that's something that I want to be a part of and uh, get other people excited through the power of real estate. That's amazing, man. That's awesome. I love that. Hey, I really appreciate everything you brought today. Um, like I said, what you guys are doing over at the Fi team and, and you specifically, but the whole team is just unique as an understatement. I think that it's also just necessary. I think that that I didn't even know that mission that you just told me. I didn't even know that, dude. That that's <laughs> yeah. incredible. And and again, going back to that thought, to to achieve that, what do you need to become as a person, but as a society by and large, to get to that point where you're able to retire five years earlier. What does that look like? How do you do that? And I think you guys pair that perfectly with what you know best, which is real estate and the specific kind of real estate you do. I love that you say you want to get into education. That's incredible. I love education myself and eventually I'd like to too. So that's really interesting that you do. Um, 
otherwise, man, I'd love to have you on. I'm doing like, I've decided I'm going to start doing annual check-ins. So that's why I asked your one year. I want to see like in a year where are these people at? Cause I want to show, Hey, listen, when you give enough of a shit and you put your mind to something with a plan behind it and, a, and, and more than a plan, but like, I, I like to get everyone's mission too. When you have a mission behind what you do, it's incredible where you can come. And I, I, I guarantee you, you're going to be further than you said you would be because you have that mission. So I'd love to do an annual check-in, but otherwise plug any social medias you want. Where can people follow you? Where can people follow the van life? I would be so honored if you had me on again, Tyler. Uh, truly appreciated the time. Thank you so much. Um, follow me on YouTube. It's moving to Denver with Ian Jimeno. If you just search I-A-N-J-I-M-E-N-O, Google will give you my YouTube videos, so that's all good. Um, social media, Instagram, I'm Ian.realestateagent. I might change it to I-A-N.R-E-I, but let's yeah. keep it real estate agent for now. Um, also, just text me because I feel like texting is probably the best way to go if I were to ever change my socials, 858-945-7484. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's it's an honor being on here and telling my story. I appreciate the time, Tyler, but uh, you got a good thing going on, man. I feel like you got a good mindset. So have as many people on here as possible and you'll be set for a while, man. You're yeah, good. no, I really appreciate that, man. Hey, take care and enjoy that van life. Thank you. Thank you.